welcome to the first episode of The Breeze with Beverage Digest. I'm your host, Dwayne Stanford. This is where we talk beverage industry shop, news of the day, interesting competitive trends, new products and categories, whatever. We bring you into the kinds of conversations that we have here at Beverage Digest every day to dissect what's happening, connect dots, and ask the most important question, what does this mean? Today, I've asked my friend John Sitcher to shoot the breeze about the sports drink category, which he knows quite a lot about. John happens to be the former publisher of Beverage Digest. He covered the industry for two decades before selling the publication in 2015. Since then, he's consulted for companies including Coca-Cola, Body Armor, and he served as an expert witness in beverage-related court cases. John, welcome to the breeze. Dwayne, happy to be with you. So I, I said that you know sports drinks, and in fact, you probably remember quite well the day 23 years ago that PepsiCo bought Gatorade, and this came just after the height of the Cola Wars. Who knew then just how big this category would get and how important a brand like Gatorade would become for PepsiCo? Dwayne, it's, uh, it's, it, it's, it's, I, I can remember it so well. It was November of 2000, and up until that time, PepsiCo, Danone, and Coke had all been rumored uh, at interested in buying Quaker Oats, which owned Gatorade. And in late November, uh, it, sources came through and said that Coke was on the verge of announcing an acquisition of Quaker Oats. And I was sitting in my home office ready to put out a special edition. I think you know you know what those are, Dwayne. And, uh, yes. and I got a call from Coke late at night on, uh, late in November saying the Coke board had decided not to go forward with a deal. And literally about a week or 10 days later, PepsiCo swooped in and bought the company and the rest is history. First of all, I think people forget that Danone was actually in the running then you said. Yes, they that's, were. Uh, that's, that would be interesting, would it not? Right, exactly. But it was a, it was a deal that, um, it changed the makeup of the North American beverage industry. I mean, PepsiCo got this huge and successful brand, and um, they already had in their non-carb non portfolio Lipton and Starbucks, uh, and it changed it. It changed the landscape. You know, Coke had they bought it would have had a much bigger non-carb business than they do now. So it was really a game changer. And, and this was after that. Uh, height of the Cola Wars, as I mentioned, this was after the Michael Jackson and uh, all of that uh, just uh, warfare between the two companies. And this was a time when some of that was subsiding. There was there was a real belief that these companies had to diversify beyond carbonated soft drinks. You started having some of the early days of uh, consumer pushback against sugar, et cetera. I mean, this was sort of a critical time to make these kind of moves, no? It was. And, you know, PepsiCo really was really out ahead back then. I mean, they already had the Lipton uh, the Lipton partnership with Unilever. They had the Starbucks Ready to Drink partnership. They came into the market with Aquafina a little bit before Coke did with Dasani. Um, they really believed in the total beverage company approach. Um, but again, you know, the, everything as you said changed. The CSD started slowly slowing the Cola Wars became more muted and the competition became much more about uh, brand portfolios. So at that time when people looked at this acquisition by 
a gate by PepsiCo of Gatorade. Did people think this was going to become this tremendous category that it is today? Was that even in the thinking then, or was it just really interesting uh, segment, uh, interesting category, a lot of good growth here, some potential, but you know, wouldn't necessarily something you would think that would be the biggest PepsiCo brand right now, actually. Well, I mean, Gatorade was a was a big brand and a well-known brand even before PepsiCo bought Quaker. Back in the 90s, uh, Coke had Powerade. They were trying to make a dent in Gatorade's market share without much success. Um, and um, so people, and the, the other thing which brought Gatorade into, the, into sort of the mind and presence of the beverage company was Quaker in the mid 90s bought Snapple and tried to basically create a beverage business combining Gatorade and Snapple. And of course, that didn't work. And they sold Snapple a few day, a few years later at a tremendous loss. By the time mm. PepsiCo bought it in 2000, uh, Gatorade was already known to be a big, powerful and growing brand and thought to be very much a future of major player in the North American beverage business. So for a long time, we've had a two-horse race in the sports drink category in the U.S. It's been Gatorade, Powerade. Powerade has always uh, trailed in share, even though it was the next biggest competitor and the one that you know was well-funded enough to actually take share from Gatorade. Uh, you know that went on for a very long time. Um, was there ever a time when uh, Powerade seemed to be in a position to even one day overtake Gatorade, or is that never really? Uh, was that never really in the cards necessarily? It was. Look, I, I think Coke tried periodically to use things like the Olympics to promote Powerade and to try to Gator to try to um, dent Gatorade share. It, it never really worked. And as you said, for many years it was a two brand category. Um, Keurig Dr Pepper, then known as Dr Pepper Seven Up, tried a sports drink called Accelerade. PepsiCo had a sports drink called All Sport before they bought Quaker and had to divest it to a company called Monarch. Monarch tried to basically build All Sport, but Gatorade and Powerade together back in those years were too powerful and no one could break into the category. So you had a lot of competitors trying, uh, a lot of people trying to become that that third player. Didn't really work. And then, uh, you know, sometime, in, uh, you know, after 2010, uh, in that decade, you start to see the emergence of this brand body armor, which really became the first player to be able to actually crack into that two-horse race. Uh, what, what do you think was going on there? What was opening the door for them? You know, I think a couple of things. I think that the... The U.S. consumer was beginning to be more interested in experimenting. And I think the body armor owners and management did a very good job marketing body armor as a better sports drink. It had premium ingredients in it like uh, like coconut water. Uh, Mike Rapoli, who was the primary owner, was a was and is a phenomenal marketer. And it began to gain. It began to gain some share, and as you said, that that opened the floodgates. And you know, now we have several beyond beyond Gatorade and uh, Powerade. We have several real competitors in that category. Now they were able to. I mean, I, I, I've always felt, and I think you'd probably agree with this, but they also were able to 
kind of capitalize on the zeitgeist at the time uh, where, you know, there was this sort of backlash against sugar, you know, Gatorade during this period was pressured and held off for so long on doing a zero calorie. They finally did a zero calorie. Uh, There was all this, you know, thought about uh, better for you ingredients and uh, cleaner uh, ingredient profiles in body armor really, um, use that to their advantage. It was almost like jiu-jitsu where they use that momentum to their advantage to talk about a better for you sports drink. You know, even, you know, the ingredients weren't necessarily, you know, tremendously different, uh, but they offered that promise. Um, you know, w- w- that, that was artful, was it not? It was, it, w- it was indeed. And again, I don't think anybody can discount the marketing prowess of Mike Rapoli, who is the primary owner of Body Armor. I mean, whether it's packaging, whether it's, um, you know, advertising, whether it's, I mean, they signed up an incredible um, group of athletes to help promote the brand. They put a great deal of money into marketing, into marketing Body Armor and growing it. And the results paid off. And Body Armor today is, you know, much, much smaller than Gatorade, but is a, you know, is is a brand of some significance in the sports drink category. So you... Body Armor, Coca-Cola bought Body Armor at the end of 2021. They spent all last year integrating it. Of course, we've seen some fairly significant deceleration of the volume gains that they were uh, achieving before. Um, you know, they've talked about, you know, uh, Fred, Federico uh, Moishan has talked about some plans for Body Armor, but they've also integrated Powerade into that operation. And as we wrote about in last week's issue, they seem to be coming strong this year with a, uh, you know, almost trying to regain some of that ground that they had for so long against uh, Gatorade. And they've even said between the two brands, they want to overtake Gatorade is the sports drink leader. Can, do you think they can do this? I mean, is that in the cards? Uh, one word answer, no. But I think they can basically, they can gain some share if they're very good at executing their strategy against Gatorade. But remember something, Gatorade's not going to sit still and sit back and say, oh, we're not going to do anything. We're just going to watch Body Armor. Coke put more money and effort behind Body Armor, but behind Powerade and Body Armor. PepsiCo is going to innovate. They're going to market. They know that Gatorade is one of their two or three most important brands and they're going to fight like the Dickens to hold the significant share gains they have. Yeah, I mean, I think if you're Coke, um, you have to at least create the mindset within the organization that you can go after that supremacy, even if it's with the two brands. Um, now, whether you can get there, I mean, that is a, I agree, it, it's a tall hurdle. Um, but certainly if you've got that as a goal, then it should be very interesting uh, to see the extent to which they could take even more market share than they potentially had before. But all of this comes down to investment, right? I mean, are they actually, is the current iteration of Coca-Cola going to invest the kind of money you need to, to act, to achieve that goal in the the five years or whatever they're trying to achieve. I mean, is is this the kind of environment where you can really do that? You know, I think it depends. It depends. I mean, there are several brands in the North American beverage business that have maintained huge market shares in their categories or segments, Gatorade in the sports drink category, Mountain Dew in the citrus category and Dr. Pepper in the spicy cherry category. And no one has been able to make a real dent against those brands in their segments or categories. 
Coke has got lots of money. They've got lots of marketing expertise. I think it's going to depend, Dwayne, if they basically are willing to invest a lot, stay with it, uh, and if they're if they're willing to basic if they're able to execute a two brand strategy using Powerade at a lower price point and Gator and, and Body Armor as a, at a premium price point, if they can do that effectively and put a and do, and, their, and their marketing and execution is great, they can probably over a period of time gain some share against Gatorade. I personally don't think Gatorade is going to lose its dominant market share in the sports drink category anytime soon or ever. One of the things Powerade is doing is using this 50% more electrolytes. I mean, they're going after uh, this on the uh, electrolyte side, the ingredient side. Um, you know, I wondered the extent to which consumers now are are thinking about and looking at how much electrolytes are in the product. Um, do you get a sense of that at all? I mean, is that kind of a, a, a good way to go and, and attack and challenge Gatorade? Look, Coke's a smart company. They, you know, I've worked with them. I've covered them. They do their research well. They understand consumers. They understand that consumers are more concerned about and interested in ingredients and ingredients than ever have been in the past. I think Coke is making smart moves with Powerade. Um, I think it's got a great brand and body armor to basically together grow their presence in that category. Um, And as I said, I think they will gain some share. Um, the question is, how much share will, will they gain? Yeah, well, you know, this comes at an interesting time, too, talking about electrolytes and some of the ingredients. I mean, one of the things we've seen very lately is this emergence of of this uh, super hydration, these uh, drinks that offer much quicker, rapid hydration. So, you know, this brand called Electrolyte, uh, you know, I know you follow them. I followed them for a number of years now. They actually took some share, uh, a few share points, which was pretty interesting in the context of, of, uh, of this two horse race we've talked about and the difficulty of brands breaking into this category. They actually took some share with this rapid hydration as sort of a Pedialyte uh, for uh, for athletes, um, and actually, you know, this category was kind of created by Pedialyte, uh, and then Electrolyte came along and figured out a way to market it directly to athletes and uh, and position it for them. Um, and now you've got Gatorade; they followed suit now with their Gatorlite product. You've got other uh, pharmaceutical type companies from Mexico that are also like. Uh, like Pisa that owns Electrolyte bringing in these uh, rapid hydration products using a little science to really talk about the absorption of these products into the body. It's not just about more electrolytes, but how well they absorb into the body. You've got this whole new category now that's uh, our segment of this category that, that that's emerging right now. And that is going to make, you know, this whole uh, competition between Powerade and Gatorade even it's going to create a whole new spin for that because not only are they fighting each other, they've got to now uh, concern themselves with this emerging category. That's really popular by the way, with multicultural communities in the U S you know, we've got a a demographic shift that people are paying attention to because there's a lot of uh, consumer spending by these groups. Uh, We've got sort of a whole new game forming here, so to speak. What are your thoughts on how all that might shape up? No, I think I think you've got to go back to what you said earlier about body armor. Body armor um, established in consumers' minds a credible point of difference between itself and Gatorade and Powerade. And I think what you've just been talking about shows that that this category is now open 
for more innovation, more brands to come in. I think that the competition for decades between Powerade and Gatorade showed, Dwayne, that unless you establish a point of difference in the sports drink category, Gatorade reigns supreme. I think if new competitors can establish points of difference that consumers believe in, the category gets more fragmented and and more competitive and more interesting in the near future. Why has Gatorade, I mean, you got to hand it to them. They've been quite successful in fending off some of these challenges um, or at least, you know, holding their own over time, even if, you know, for a while, Body Armor really, uh, you know, took some share points and, and, um, you know, but 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 what what how is it that Gatorade has been able to answer the call so often? I mean they they've got the Gatorade pro, uh, product now to fend off that electrolyte challenge. They did the zero offering, even though for years they you know held back on that. Um, what is it in the DNA of that brand, or just the, uh, uh, the their willingness to spend? Do you think that has allowed them to not lose this dominant position? I mean that's. That's uh, that's pretty remarkable. I mean, it reminds me of just what, you know, sort of what Coca-Cola has done with, you know, Red Can brand Coke over all of these years. Yeah, I think it has a lot to do with one word, which is commitment. I think that for many, many, many years, going back to the Quaker, the Quaker days of owning Gatorade and right through to the PepsiCo days, they really understand that brand. They understand the brand's consumers and they understand how to market that brand, and they've been willing to spend a lot of money to do that. And, uh, you know, I think there are some, I think it's it's simply one of the best marketed and managed brands probably in the entire consumer products universe. Um, and that's made it very, it's made it very hard to dent it. You, you know, um, we saw this, uh, we've seen this with energy drinks, um, you know, as we mentioned um just various competitors coming in with these unique propositions, whether it be performance energy, um, you know, targeting Celsius, for instance, to a broader set of workout uh, of energy occasions, uh, more, you know, everyday kind of uh, energy occasions, uh, marketing more to women. I mean, you're seeing that really happening in, happening in sports drinks too, where you even got new competitors. I mean, I, you know, I, I just recently had a conversation with the, uh, with the founders of Hoist and, you know, this is a product that's very heavily within the military right now. Um, but they, but they're even, you know, they take issue with uh, taking sugar out of sports drinks because they believe it's important uh, when it comes to the absorption of uh, electrolytes and things of that nature. You're really going to have uh, companies who are going to be challenging uh, some of the efficacy and the science behind some of these products too, which kind of creates a whole new dynamic. Do consumers really pay a lot of attention to that, do you think? I, th- I, think, I think certain consumers do. I think that Look, I think that one of the issues for Gatorade over the years has been trying to decide whether it is a product for athletes or is it a lifestyle beverage. And I think in recent years, PepsiCo has marketed as a, a um, as as a product for athletes. There's no doubt that some Gatorade is consumed as a lifestyle beverage. I mean, you can walk up and down, you know, Third Avenue in New York City, and you can see people. Uh, they're carrying a bottle of water or a bottle of Gatorade, and they're not out exercising. Um, so I think that I think that 
it's a it's a terrific category. It's a category generally lower in sugar than carbonated soft drinks. It's a category where diet sweeteners work well. Gatorade Zero is a great tasting product, as is Powerade Zero. So our, the diet sweeteners work better in sports drinks uh, in terms of taste than they do in certain carbonated soft drinks. It's a product which has a credible functional benefit in, in the minds of most people. And it's a category which is going to grow. And because it's going to grow and people are getting smarter about the category and points of difference, there's going to be more competition coming into that category. You could almost argue that, you know, what, over a decade ago, Gatorade over pivoted to uh, focusing very heavily and concentrating their marketing on athletes uh, to the point where they were even, in essence, saying, we don't care if non-athletes drink. You probably remember that. We don't care if non-athletes drink it. We're focusing on the athletes. And part of that, obviously, was to create that halo that would then uh, – filter down to, you know, the broader consumer set. But I, over the, since then, and again, they, you know, I think you could argue they over pivoted at that at the time and they pulled back, but they've done a really consistent job of really focusing on athletes, however, creating that halo, but still making the brand accessible for consumers with all kinds of uh, workout occasions. And of course they've added, you know, Propel and they've got extensions. Now they've got a new energy uh, drink, sort of a hybrid energy sports drink that they've uh, introduced into the market, started with the NFL. They're going to be distributing that widely starting this month in the U S that adds even a whole new wrinkle to this whole sports drink uh, competition, right? Adding this energy component for specifically athletes. Exactly. I mean, there was a time when, um, you know, athletes would have a Red Bull and a, and, a, and a sports drink. Now I think the sports drink companies are starting to basically decide well, the, we, we want to we capture that inside our, our own brands as well. Um, and again, this is part of that differentiation, the point of difference that, uh, that we're talking about. You know, I think it's probably pretty clear what Coke and Pepsi and Sprite are going to look like five or 10 years from now. They're going to look a lot like they are today, maybe some more flavored line extensions. I think it's very hard to predict what the sports drink business is going to look like. I think it's going to be far more differentiated, more competitors, much bigger than it is today. I mean, you got to wonder, you know, PepsiCo for a time had distributed Bang, and of course that relationship went very sour and they ended up divorcing and Celsius has moved into that uh, is now being distributed by PepsiCo. But during that bang period, uh, you know, this was uh, they, you know, bang was all about this performance energy segment and it was all about an energy drink for people who are working out and doing various kinds of exercise. You have to believe that, you know, through that period, uh, Gatorade picks up, picked up some, uh, you know, some some sort of thinking and uh, ideas around this whole athlete uh, needing an energy occasion. I mean, y- y- I just think probably in their minds cemented some of this uh, um, sort of desire to go after this category, wouldn't you think? I, I do think so. You know, and I think, I think PepsiCo has been very good at understanding that they need to market Gatorade both to what I would call actual athletes and aspirational athletes. Um, and 
that I think has become part of the Gatorade aura. And I think that, as you said earlier, Gatorade is marketed mainly to athletes, but it's also marketed to people who aspire to be athletes, who aspire to be fit, who may be just working out a little bit. I think you and I probably know people, you know, who go out and jog a leisurely mile and come back and swig a Gatorade. Uh, they probably don't need a Gatorade technically, but it's part of the aspirational aura of Gatorade and it's worked very well for them. You play tennis. I play competitive tennis here in Georgia in the, the hot summer. And I, I don't know what I'd do without sports drinks, honestly, when those cramps set in. Right, exactly. You know, my wife gets very bad. We play a lot of tennis. It gets very hot up here in the summertime. Uh, my wife gets leg cramps and she drinks a and consumes a different assortment of hydration beverages and they work. Uh, and I think that's, so, as I said, I think that. Do you what, guys try the powder? Do you try powdered and tablets and yep, things like that too? All, Have you all, all of them. But again, I think that, you know, one of the things that's so exciting and has propelled the growth of both energy drinks and sports drinks is I think they have functional benefits that consumers believe really work. And um, I think that's going to propel their growth, Dwayne, for many, many years to come. You know, when you look at those tablets and powders, that's been really interesting, too, because you can really, you know, in terms of creating these functional benefits, you can pack all that into this kind of very easy portable package. You know, consumers, some of them don't want to use, uh, you know, single use bottles. Uh, they want to use their uh, portable, reusable bottles, et cetera. Uh, it's been really interesting watching the growth of that. I, I do kind of wonder if there's a ceiling on that, like how high can that really go? Because you know, packaged beverages are frankly just easy and, and simple. But, um, you know, do you see people around you using those more? Um, have you got a sense that those could actually, you know, build even more of a following? And I mean, this kind of stuff has been tried in the past. You know, I think two things. I, I think, yes, I've seen it uh, at the local health market we go to out in Long Island in the summertime. Uh, some of those some of those powdered and tablets products have um quite significant displays. But I think that two things are going to keep a cap on that. I think that people like convenience. Uh, they like just being able to take a take a mm -hmm. bottle of Powerade or Gatorade or Body Armor out of the refrigerator, open it and drink it. And the second thing is, I think that these brands like Gatorade and Powerade and Body Armor have a big head start in brand building. And I think brands are important. I think that people buy products for lots lots of reasons, but I think the appeal of a brand or the, the brand they're familiar with and trust goes a long way. Yeah, I do think, you know, a lot of times we kind of discount the company saying, look, we got to have options for consumers. If consumers are looking for powders and tablets, we got to make sure that we're providing those too. And, but I, I really do feel like there's conviction behind that these days. And it's really pretty clear from the market that that really is the kind of strategy you have to take. You can no longer just say no to powders and tablets because it's going to hurt your ready to drink business. You can no longer just sort of be in a trench on that. You have to kind of embrace those and figure out, out a way to work 
work them into your portfolio in order to have it contribute to that brand that you talked about uh, and people going to your brand for this sort of these usage occasions. Um, I, I think it's going to be interesting to see these companies continue to do that and try to embrace these different formats, but at the same time, protect, you know, their, their existing giant RTD businesses. I agree with you. And I think another, another aspect is that as more and more and more people buy beverages online, I think that the, the lower cost of shipping powders and tablets uh, will will get some value. In other words, if you're basically if someone's buying a case of Powerade online, someone is paying to ship a lot of water. If someone's mm-hmm. buying a case of tablets online, it's not it doesn't take up much space. It doesn't take up much weight, and there's there there's there's a cost benefit there for probably for everybody long term. Uh, and I think that, that that's a consideration too. Yeah, I mean, so far. By and large, beverages really have not caught on with e-commerce other than, say, click and collect where you go to the store and pick it up or maybe have something, uh, you know, delivered by, a you know, someone in their car. But, you know, in terms of the Amazons of the world and some of that, um, you know, some direct-to-consumer beverages that are highly functional, you, you know, you, it starts to make sense. But even those companies, a lot of them who started with direct-to-consumer strategies have fairly quickly moved to retail because that's kind of where it's at. But, you know, that whole, uh, you know, beverages just in terms of uh, e-commerce grocery just have not, you know, captured as much share as some other types of products. So I think you're totally right about how the, you know, that's one place these powders and tablets can play. But also if you look at those displays you talked about in the store, the pricing for some of these I mean, it just, I mean, it is just mind boggling sometimes uh, when you look at a box of certain of these functional hydration beverages and tablet or powder form, just how much they're able, how much they're able to charge for these things. Right. Exactly. Because of the functionality. Exactly. Exactly. Um, I think that, you know, I think that it's, I think there's a subset of people who are going to want these products um, and they're going to be the, the, but they're going to have to basically make the products themselves. And I think that's going to put a limit on how much they're used. Yeah. And I think the way, the way to do it is to really think about it. You know, if you're a Coke or a PepsiCo or, or some of these other uh, brands that, you know, want to have powdered and tablet forms. I think the way to think about it is that a specific user is going to at times want a ready to drink bottle that they can just swig as they're in the middle of a match, but they might also want the portability of those powders and tablets to have in their bag in case, you know, they run out of whatever they brought in their bottles on a particularly hot day, or they just quickly need to rehydrate, um, uh, you know, before a match and they've just not had time to go to the store. I mean, you can see ways in which having those in your bag as a backup is all also important too. So you have to really think about these consumers and these needs states, uh, you know, kind of across the board and then using these different products at different times. And I think that's a great thing. I mean, that creates nice convenience for consumers. It gives them some flexibility. Um, you know, the notion of just having the backup in your tennis bag to your RTD, uh, for me, I mean, that's, you know, kind of huge. So I think you're going to see companies kind of, uh, think about those kind of more holistically as well. It's not an either or. Of course, the catch 22 is beyond the, beyond the tablets or powders you have in your bag, 
you also have to have some water. So either you got to carry bottles of water, or you have to take a, a you know a, a, a water bottle which you which you fill up someplace. So you know you have to find a half a liter of water someplace if you're going to use those tablets and powders. Yeah. And if you're not at home, that's not so easy. I mean, you know, one of the reasons you see so much use of bottled water, for example, in New York City is, you know, convenience and portability. And I think that that's going to be true long, long, long term for sports drinks, too. Um, it's just simpler. So what's your prediction? Next five years, what are we going to see in terms of this sports drink landscape? Do you think these rapid hydration uh, drinks are going to sort of become more the uh, the lead horse in all this? Or um, will they just be one of the uh, sort of the arrows in the quiver of these companies to to grab these con- these consumers holistically? I'd say arrows and quivers. I think that over the next five years, you're probably going to see energy drinks continue to be Maybe the top grower, but I think sports drinks are going to base are, are going to are going to keep growing and maybe even grow more strongly. I think that when, as you mentioned, Body Armor did not have a great year last year. It was a transitional year for Coke, but Coke spent a lot of money on that brand, and they're going to basically ramp up their competitive efforts behind Body Armor. And I think over the next few years, you're going to see very, very strong and good competition between PepsiCo's Gatorade and Coke's two brands and these smaller brands you reference. And I think that's going to help drive that's going to help drive awareness and awareness of functional value. And it's going to help drive growth in this category. Yeah, as we wrote about in the last issue, this is a definitely a pivotal year for uh, Powerade, but also body armor. So, you know, can they return to some of that growth that we saw a pre-acquisition and, you know, how does that fit into Coke's overall competitive mix on sports drinks? So it'll be interesting to watch and we'll be covering it closely. And uh, John, thank you so much for joining us on The Breeze today with Beverage Digest and uh, look forward to further conversations. Happy to be with you and thank you, Dwayne. The Breeze is produced by Beverage Digest. Visit our website to learn more about our products and subscribe to our newsletter. That's www.beverage-digest.com.